Chapter Three of the Madman and the Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read and recorded by Betsy Bush, Marquette, Michigan, August 2007. The Madman and the Pirate by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Three. But Orley's mother refused to be comforted. What she had heard or read of pirates induced her to believe that mercy must necessarily be entirely banished from their hearts, and her husband, she knew full well, would sooner die than join them. Therefore, she argued in her despair, Antonio must have perished. "'But, mother,' said Orley, in a soothing tone, "'you must remember that Roscoe and his men are not regular pirates. I only heard them shout, "'Hoist the black flag!' when they seized me. But that does not prove that they did hoist it, or that Roscoe agreed to do so. They were only mutineers, you see, and not hardened villains. "'Hardened enough when they threw you overboard, my son,' returned poor little Madame Zeppa with a sob. "'True, but that was in the hurry of the rising, and without orders from Roscoe, as far as I know. Besides, mother,' "'Have you not often told me that God will never forsake his own children? "'Surely, then, he will not forsake father.' "'No, oh, no! The good Lord will never forsake him. "'He will certainly deliver his soul from sin and death. "'But God sometimes sees fit to allow the bodies of his children to suffer and die. "'It may be so now.' "'Yes, mother, but also it may not be so now. "'Let us take a hopeful view.' and do what we can to find out, to find, to— Poor Orlando broke down here, laid his head on his little mother's shoulder, and wept for his mind had suddenly run itself blank. What was there to find out? What could they do? Nothing, absolutely nothing, except pray, and they did that fervently. Then Orley went out to consult again with his friends— Alas, there was no other outlet for their grief, save prayer and consultation, for action was, in the circumstances, impossible. "'Been tink, tinkin' horrible hard all last night. Couldn't sleep a wink,' said Ebony one day, some weeks after the return of Orlando, when, according to custom, he and the native missionary and his wife, with the chiefs Tomeo and Bucci, assembled for a consultation in the palm-grove. "'What have you been thinking about?' asked Orley. "'Use fodder, of course.' "'Of course,' repeated the boy. "'But what have you been thinking about him? Anything new?' "'Not exactly new,' returned the negro, with a very earnest look. "'But old thoughts turn to a new direction. "'Sit down, Tomeo, and I will tell you, "'and try to forget use hat if possible. "'It's extraordinary good-looking.' "'almost as much good-looking as yourself, "'so you got no occasion to be always thinking about it.' "'We may remark here that both Tomeo and Bucci "'understood a little of Ebony's English, "'though they could not speak a word. "'The reader will understand, therefore, "'that when we put words in their mouths "'we only give a free translation of their language. "'In like manner, Ebony understood a little of the Ratinga tongue, "'but could not speak much of it. And Warunga, who himself spoke uncommonly bad, 
though fluent English, interpreted when necessary. "'Well, you must know,' said Ebony, "'that just before I goes to bed last night, I eat a little too much supper.' "'You do's that every night,' interrupted Bucci with a grin. Ebony ignored the interruption, and continued, "'So you see, I dream very bad, most dreadful dreams. Yes, well, what I dream was dis. I see Massa Zappa, forced by de pirates to walk de plank.' "'What's that?' asked Tomeo. Waranga looked at Ebony for an explanation, and then translated. "'When pirates want to kill people, they sometimes tie up their eyes, and bind their hands, and make them walk along a plank sticking over the ship's side, till they fall off the end of it into the sea, where they are left to drown.' Tomeo looked at Bucci with a grin, and nodded, as though he thought the mode of execution rather a good one. Then, recollecting suddenly, that any mode of slaying innocent men was inconsistent with his character as a convert to Christianity, he cast a glance of awful solemnity at Waranga, and tried to look penitent. "'Well, him's walk de plank like a man,' continued Ebony. "'Him's dood everything like a man. And when him's topple into de sea, him's give sich a most awful wriggle that his bonds busted.' But him's very sly, was Massa Zeppa, amazin' sly. I told him, lie on's back, ziff him be dead. Just move a little to look like drownin', and when he long way astern, he slew round, off with de hanky from his eyes, and larfed to himself like one o'clock. Then he swum to an island, and get ashore, and climb up de rocks, and sit down, and, and that's all. What? "'Be that all?' asked Waranga. "'That's all,' repeated the negro. "'I no dream no more arter dat, "'cause I was worked by a fly that had hoosed up my nose "'and kept bubblin' in it like steam inside of a kittle.' "'Well, Ebony,' asked Orlando, "'what conclusions do you draw from that dream?' "'I didn't draw no conclusions from it, "'cause I don't know what de are.' never have nothing to do wid what i don't understand but what i was tink was dis in de days ob old some time after adam and eve was born a certain king called pharaoh or some sich name waranga there knows all about him had a dream that seven swine came up kine ebony not swine interrupted the missionary with a good-humoured smile which is all the same as cows. Well, den, seven fat cows come up out bubba river, and hoed slap at seven thin cows. Miserable skinny critters, that. All wrong, Ebony, again interrupted Waranga. It's just the other way. The skinny ones went at the fat cows. Well, of course you must be right, returned the negro humbly, though I'd have suspected it was the other way. "'But I suppose the skinny ones was so hungry "'that the fat ones hadn't a chance wid em. "'However, it don't matter. "'What I was going to say was that a good man called Joseph "'went to Pharaoh and splained all his dream to him. "'Now, if Joseph could do that, "'why shouldn't Waranga splain my dream to me?' "'Because I'm not Joseph, Ebony, and you're not Pharaoh,' "'returned Waranga promptly.' Tomeo and Bucci turned looks of inquiry on Ebony, as if to say, "'What do you say to that, you nigger?' 
but the nigger said nothing for some moments. He seemed not to have viewed the matter in that light. "'Well, I don't know,' he said at last with a deep sigh. "'I thought I'd get hold of something when I kitch hold dat dream. But I do believe myself dat part of it means dat Zeppa hims get on an island anyhow.' "'If my dear father got upon anything, it must have been an island,' said Orlando sadly. "'That's true,' remarked Mrs. Waronga. "'Keep your mouth shut, my darling.' She referred to her brown baby, which she placed with some violence on her knee. It is well to remark here that little Zarifa had been supplied with a coal-scuttle bonnet proportioned to her size, made by her mother out of native straw, and that she did not wear anything else in the way of costume. After Ebony's dream had been thoroughly discussed in all its bearings, and viewed in every possible point of relation to their great sorrow, the council adjourned, as usual, to various duties about the flourishing little village, and Orlando went to lay the result before his mother, who, although she could not believe these deliberations would end in anything practical, found it impossible, nevertheless, to resist the influence of so much faith and strong hopefulness, so that she was somewhat comforted, as it were, in spite of herself. Time flew by, and upwards of three years elapsed without anything happening at Ratinga Island to throw a single ray of light on the fate of the lost man. During that period, however, much that was interesting and encouraging occurred to comfort the heart of the native missionary and the sorrowing Marie Zeppa. In the first place they received several visits from the mission vessel, with small supplies of such luxuries as sugar, tea, and coffee for the body, and for the spirit, a few bundles of tracts and books printed in the native tongue, among which, you may be sure, were many copies of the Book of Books, the Blessed Bible. Carpenters and smiths' tools were also brought to them, so that they not only carried on their house-building and other operations with greater ease than heretofore, but even essayed the building of small boats with considerable success. On the occasion of these visits, supplies of clothing were also left for the use of those converts who could be persuaded to put them on. But in these matters of taste Warango was not so successful as he had been in spiritual things. After his first disastrous landing, he had found no difficulty in persuading the natives to burn their false gods, and put away their too numerous wives, reserving only one to each man. But when it was suggested that the usual bit of cloth round the loins was not quite sufficient for Christians, and that additional clothing was desirable, they betrayed decided symptoms of a tendency to rebel. Savages in all parts of the world are usually much influenced for good or evil by the example of their chiefs. Those of Ratinga were no exception to the general rule, and the chiefs Tomeo and Bucci did not encourage the putting on of clothes. In the matter of headdress, they had indeed given in, but when one day Waranga presented Tomeo with a pair of what he called slop-made trousers, and advised him to put them on, slapping his own at the same time, and asserting, we trust truthfully, that they were comfortable, Tomeo looked at them with an air of contempt, and Bucci, who was irreverent, laughed. After much persuasion, however, and being good-natured, he consented to try. He got one leg in easily enough, but when he attempted to put in the other, not being accustomed to the feet, 
he staggered and had to let the leg down. Raising it a second time, he made a successful plunge, got the foot in, lost his balance, made a frantic effort to disengage his foot, and fell to the ground. "'Sit down, my friend, and try it again,' said Waronga encouragingly. Our missionary was of a gentle, loving disposition. His successes were in every case the result of suasion. He never sought to coerce men. Tomeo, with childlike simplicity, rebuked his own awkwardness, and humbly seated his huge body on a bank for another effort. In this position he got his legs easily into the trousers and drew them on. But when he stood up to complete the operation, it was found that they were very much too small for him, besides which he had put them on with the back to the front. "'Ah, my friend, they do not fit!' said Waronga, thinking it unnecessary to refer to the error. "'I will find a larger pair for you in the store. But try this coat. It is the kind worn by the white man when he goes to see his friends. It will be much easier to put on, I think.' So saying, Waronga produced a blue surtout with bright brass buttons. "'No,' said Tomeo, drawing himself up with dignity, and putting the garment aside. "'I do not require it.' Has not a coat of skin been given to me? I want no other. And truly, the dark brown skin, which fitted so perfectly to his muscular frame, tattooed as it was with many elegant devices, seemed to warrant his rejection of the ill-made surtout. But in Ratinga, as elsewhere, tastes differ. Bucci's fancy was caught by the brass buttons, and he volunteered to put on the coat, although he had looked with scorn on the trousers. Like his brother chief, however, he experienced considerable difficulty, especially in distinguishing the difference between the left armhole and the breast pocket, despite the able assistance of Waronga. At last he got the coat partially on, and with a mighty heave forced it upon his broad shoulders. Then he stood with arms awkwardly curved and extended, uncertain what to do next. He was by no means properly into the garment, and his look of solemn inquiry said as much to the missionary. "'Try another heave, my friend,' said Waronga, in a tone of encouragement. Bucci tried, with the result of a mysterious and incomprehensible noise at his back. "'What is that?' he said quickly, with looks of alarm, as he endeavoured to glance over his shoulder. "'I fear,' replied Waronga, with some hesitation, "'that the coat has burst.' There could be no doubt whatever about it, for a long strip of the chief's back was visible, as if a gusset of brown leather had been introduced into the blue coat, from the waist to the collar. For a considerable time after this, both chiefs declined further experiments in the clothing way, but ultimately Tomeo was induced to wear a striped flannel jersey, and Bucci, of his own accord, adopted a scarlet flannel petticoat that had been given to his wife. Thus was the ice of conservatism broken in the island of Ratinga, and liberal views prevailed thenceforward in the matter of costume, whether to the advancement of taste and decency remains to this day an open question, as all liberal and conservative questions will probably remain till the crack of doom. One day, to the inexpressible surprise and joy of the islanders, a large vessel was seen to pass through the narrow opening in the coral reef and cast anchor in the lagoon. The excitement on Ratinga was great, for vessels rarely had occasion to visit the island, 
although some of them, probably South Sea whalers, were seen to pass it on the horizon two or three times a year. Immediately four canoes full of natives put off to visit the stranger, but on reaching her they were sternly told to keep off, and the order was silently enforced by the protruding muzzle of a carronade and the forbidding aspect of several armed men who looked over the side. "'We are men of peace,' said Waronga, who was in the foremost canoe, and come as Christian friends. "'We are men of war,' growled one of the men, "'and don't want no friends, Christian or otherwise.' "'We came to offer you hospitality,' returned the missionary in a remonstrative tone. "'And we came to take all the hospitality we want of you without waiting for the offer,' retorted the sailor. "'So you'd better go back to where you came from, and keep yourselves quiet if you don't want to be blowed out of the water.' This was sufficient. With disappointed looks, the natives turned their canoes shoreward and slowly paddled home. "'Depend upon it, this is another pirate,' said Orlando, when Waranga reported to him the result of his visit. "'What would you advise us to do?' asked Waranga. Lest the reader should be surprised at this question, we must remind him that Orlando had, in the course of his three years, grown up almost to manhood. The southern blood in his veins, and the nature of the climate in which he had been born and brought up, may have had something to do with his early development. But whatever the cause, he had, at the early age of eighteen, become as tall and nearly as powerful as his father had been, and so like to him in aspect and manner, that the natives began to regard him with much of that respect and love which they had formerly entertained towards Antonio. Of course Orlando had not the sprinkling of grey in his short black curly hair which had characterized the elder Zeppa, but he possessed enough of the black beard and moustache in a soft rudimental form to render the resemblance to what his sire had been very remarkable. His poor little mother left the management of all her out-of-door affairs with perfect confidence to her son. Tomeo and Bucci also had begun to regard him as his father's successor. "'I would advise you to do nothing,' said Orley, in reply to Waranga's question, beyond having all the fighting men of the village prepared for action, and being ready at a moment's notice to receive the strangers as friends if they choose to come as such.' "'Well, then, Orley, I will be ready for them, as you tell to me, if they comes in peace. If not, you must go and carry out your own advice, for you is manager of all secular affairs here.' In the afternoon a large boat, full of men armed to the teeth, put off from the side of the strange vessel, which was bark-rigged, and rowed to the beach near the mouth of a small stream. Evidently the object of the visit was to procure fresh water.' Having posted his men in ambush, with orders to act in strict accordance with his signals, Orlando sauntered down alone and unarmed to the place where the sailors were filling their water-casks. "'Is your captain here?' he asked quietly. The men, who were seemingly a band of thorough ruffians, looked at him in surprise, but went on filling their casks. "'I am the captain.' said one, stepping up to the youth with an insolent air. "'Indeed,' said Orlando, with a look of surprise. "'Yes, indeed. Let me tell you that we have no time to trouble ourselves with you or yours. But since you've put yourself in our power, we make you stay here till we've done watering.' 
"'I have no intention of leaving you,' replied Orley, seating himself on a rock with a pleasant smile. "'What do ye say to kidnap the young buck?' suggested one of the men. "'He might be useful.' "'Perhaps he might be troublesome,' remarked Orlando. "'But I would advise you to finish your work here in peace, for I have a band of three hundred men up in the bush there, not ordinary savages, let me tell you, but men with the fear of God in their hearts, and the courage of lions in their breasts, who would think it an easy matter to sweep you all off the face of the earth. They are ready to act at my signal, or at my fall, so it will be your wisdom to behave yourselves. The quiet, almost gentle manner in which this was said had a powerful effect on the men. Without more words, they completed the filling of the casks, and then, re-embarking, pushed off. It was obvious that they acted in haste. When they had gone about a couple of boat-lengths from the beach, one of the men rose up with a musket, and Orlando distinctly heard him say, "'Shall I send a bullet into him?' "'If you do, the captain will skin you alive,' was the reply from one of the other men. The alternative did not seem agreeable to the first speaker, for he laid down his musket and resumed his oar. Soon after the boat reached her, the sails of the stranger were spread, and she glided slowly out of the lagoon. End of chapter 3